Did you know that right now there's a group of people running the business of their dreams? They are respected leaders in their field, working with clients they love and serving them profitably. Now, are they famous? Depends on who you ask. They're not signing autographs at the grocery store or taking selfies every five minutes. They're not trying to be everywhere on social media. Yet when they show up at trade events and conferences, they are recognized and sought after. They're the ones everyone else looks up to. They're the next generation of thought leaders in their space. So what's their secret? Well, they've become famously influential to the right people, and so can you. Today, we'll dig into the story of one of these leaders and deconstruct how they became micro-famous. You won't just come away inspired, you'll come away with a new strategy and a new way of thinking. So while your competition is scattered, chaotic, and chasing every shiny object, you can move forward with confidence and clarity. I'm your host, Matt Johnson, agency founder and author of Microfamous. And if you're ready to become famously influential to the right people, let's get started. Hey, everybody, welcome back to this special podcast episode. My guest today is Dan Cushell, and Dan has an insane background. And we had a really, really cool, interesting conversation about this hybrid coaching, consulting agency world that we're both in, where we are essentially building marketing systems and then installing them into our client's business. And what the heck category does that fit into? And and what's that going to be called? There's a lot of names for it, like from fractional CMO, virtual CMO, uh, to hybrid consulting, hybrid agency. And we're both in that in that sort of space where People come to us for both strategy and implementation, um, even though I'm, I'm running like a done-for-you agency. People are coming to me and they're, they're looking for podcast strategy and strategy that fits into their overall business and marketing strategy, not just a strategy for the podcast. And then I've, I've got a team behind me that's doing a lot of the implementation. And Dan has a very similar structure to his business. And I'll give you his bona fides here in a second. But we really go deep into that, as well as his perspective on direct response branding, which is his system, and why he called it that, who that attracts, why it works in the market that we both serve, because we serve very similar clients, and just a very interesting conversation. So if you're in the coaching, consulting, speaking, advising, business book space, if you're in anything like that, this is the conversation for you. It's really, really good. And uh, so let me give you a little background on Dan. He is a husband, dad, serial entrepreneur, angel investor, humanitarian. He's the founder of Growth to Freedom, prosperitybasedliving.com. He's the creator of Millionaire's Mindset. He's the best-selling author of Bootstrap Business. He's worked with everyone from uh, Joe Polish and growing the Genius Network uh, to Vern Harnish, uh, among many, many others. He's extremely well-connected uh, in the marketing and thought leadership space. And so a lot of you may know his name already, or you would know the people that he's helped grow, uh, grow their business. And uh, he, grew, he grew a coaching company, in fact, to 25 million before he exited. He alludes to that in the uh, the interview, though we don't have a chance to really go down the, the rabbit hole as much as I would like and ask him how he grew that business and then exited because that's a whole other conversation. But I'm really excited for you to hear it because if you're in the space where you sell essentially systems and your proposition to clients is that, hey, I have this thing that I've built, this system that I've built, and I want to help you install a version of that in your business that can change your business the way it's changed mine. If that's kind of your value proposition, this is going to be a very, very valuable conversation for you because we're talking about how, how that's sold and where we're at right now with that kind of business model and where that's going. So I'm really excited. Jump in. And without further ado, here's Dan Cashel. Dan, officially welcome to the show. 
It's awesome to be here, Matt. Thank you. I am super pumped because we've got a really interesting and juicy topic to talk about that's uh, essentially near and dear to both of our hearts. We'll get into that in a second. But when you meet somebody, I mean, we both serve very, very similar types of clients, you know, thought leaders and experts and coaches, consultants and all that. When you meet somebody like that in real life, what do you tell them that you do? Well, you know how a lot of people struggle to get a steady flow of clients, Matt? <laughs> okay. At the end of the day, we help, uh, you know, experts coaches, consultants get a steady flow of clients with a lot less stress. And uh, we do that by using uh, direct response branding and helping create really a simple operating system for sales and marketing, right? So that they can have a bigger impact, a bigger reach and have a bigger contribution. Yeah. Okay. So first of all, I just want to dig in a little bit to the messaging briefly because uh, I, I, can, I can hear Dan Kennedy throwing a fit right now already. How can direct response and branding go into the same system. So, so briefly give me your perspective on that and why you chose that phrase to kind of hang your hat on. Well, first of all, I believe traditional marketing is dead. I also believe traditional branding is dead. So, you know, like where, do, but there is a place that they meet, especially today. I mean, let's face it, consumers, our clients, you know, you're, we're all more savvy than we've ever been. We're more educated than we've ever been at any point in history. So like when I got started, I got started in the late 1980s at this map. My first company I started in 1992 and it was in direct response marketing, direct mail, TV, radio. We were spending hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions of dollars over time in those categories. Mm -hmm. And so I got fascinated how you could put a message out like today in direct mail or on TV or on radio. And this is pre-internet mm -hmm. and you get a response like, within minutes yeah. and people would buy your stuff. Right. And so it was measurable. It was repeatable. You knew that if you spent a dollar like on this ad today, this moment, and it got why results, you, you knew either whether it was successful or not today, you know, the market's changed and what, what has changed uh, along with buyer behavior or, or consumer behavior is this cycle of, you know, buying, right. Another flaw, uh, we see in the market is a lot of people rely mad on selling models, selling funnels, sales funnels. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a broken model. It, it's mm -hmm. a broken model from the perspective that again, you know, thinking from a psychology point of view of what do our clients want? Do they want to be sold or do they want to buy stuff? The yeah. greatest companies in the world, Apple, Starbucks, companies like this, they're not people were you and me are not, as you're listening, you're not being sold to buy an Apple product. You're not being sold to go to Starbucks or now drive through and get it, but, or, or go in if, if it's a safe place to do it, mm -hmm. right? It's a buyer's culture. So okay. traditional marketing is dead from the perspective of years ago. It used to be, you could, uh, you know, let's say there's a fireplace over here mm -hmm. and I take this match and I've got this match here. Hold on. I'll pull it up. Uh, if I take this match and I light it and there's my fireplace, I could in the back in the late eighties, early nineties, I could throw it in the fireplace and it would catch a fire, right? Mm. Run an ad, get a result, yeah. right? Today, the way that works, you've got, you know, Facebook ads, you've got Google ads, you've got remarketing, you've got all these other different sources. So today it works more like this, where you light a match, catch the paper on fire, get some heat, put some kindling on it, mm. put some branches on top of that. Now you got a fire going. Now you put a log on top and now you get a result. And that's the combination of mm -hmm. a couple things. Yeah. Here's another outdated strategy. Really 
tied in, right? Mm-hmm. Have, have you ever heard, and we've heard this, Matt, and I know, uh, I think we talked about it a little bit before, you know, to get people to buy from us, they must like us and trust us. Okay. It's the biggest, one of the biggest reasons most entrepreneurs fail. And here's why, especially there's a lot of entrepreneurs and we've surveyed thousands and thousands and, and asked, are, are, do you consider yourself at some level a people pleaser? Hmm. And it's a resounding yes. Entrepreneurs are people because they want to serve and show up a certain way, especially and also introverted, uh, which is another character. Oh, that's, I was going to say, we'll have to go deep on that one. All right, keep yeah. going. And so if you're a people pleaser and you bought this idea that all these experts have been teaching outdated information and still are teaching it today, for years, which is to get people to buy from you, they must like you and trust you. Well, if your first motive is to get someone to like you and you're a people pleaser, you're going to over, it's, you know, it's like this old adage of, oh, give all your best stuff away for free. And then imagine like what your paid stuff must be like. Yes. It's another flawed strategy. It's outdated. And it's, you know, it causes a lot of really good people with really great products, really great service. So if you're struggling right now, I want to give you just a little flip on that because you might be going, okay, Dan, you've opened about four loops right now. Are you going to close any of these uh, in the conversation? <laughs> so let me close this one really quick. It's not about like and trust. Not yeah. that you don't want people to like you, but more important, you know, Howard Stern. You know, if you look at the, the media of traditional terrestrial radio, you look at podcasts, you look at influencers, mm-hmm. although they're not teaching you this, this is something they do either they know it, but they're not teaching it, or they don't know it and they just do it instinctively. Mm-hmm. More important is you've got to have trust and respect. And when you have trust and respect, doesn't matter because we've all, have you bought, have you ever, as you're listening or watching, have you ever bought something from someone you didn't like? Of course you have. Many, many situations, we didn't have enough time to decide whether we liked them or not. So it's not trust and likability, it's trust and respect. Now, likability can help, but more importantly, focus on trust and respect. Here's a great example. Think of the last time you were physically, if you could think back, you know, maybe it was March or sometime ago, you went to a restaurant. Have you ever been in a restaurant situation and you're with a, a partner, a spouse, whatever, and you're in a heated conversation, you're kind of getting into a little argument and the waiter or waitress walks up and what do you do? Immediately they walk up, you're in a heated conversation or a little bit of a mini argument and they walk up, what do you do? You turn on the nice face. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Why? Because when they walk up, you know, what you have between each other is trust. Right. But with someone you don't know, there's usually a higher level of respect that comes into the game. There's not a lot of trust yet. Right. Yeah. But over time, what happens in close relationships, trust many times will go down and respect or respect will go up and trust will come down. Okay. Right. So, you know, like if you look at Oprah, if you look at Howard Stern, you look at like platforms, you, you come on Matt, Matt's show. Like if you're a guest on Matt's show or you work in Matt's community, you're lucky enough to work with him with some of the programs and his agency, all this stuff. Like he's got an influence over an audience. So what does he have with them? He has trust with his audience. Right. So now we can bring an expert from afar and edify them mm-hmm. with respect. And he creates this trust respect triangle mm-hmm. to create, you know, magic, you know, many times some experts will call this the magic of edification. So anyway, mm-hmm. uh, direct response branding, it's a little deep. Ideally, this kind of gives you a scratch, scratching of the surface. It's not saying no to direct response and it's not saying no to branding. It's bridging the two. And then if you can kind of 
look at an, uh, an arc or an envelope over the top of them using respect and trust as a core part of it, humanizing the experience, personalizing the experience, that, that really wins, at least in our, in our view. Yeah. Yeah. I love it and couldn't, couldn't agree more. I mean, things have changed so much just in the last, I mean, even just in the last five or 10 years since I've been more active in on the online space and the digger I deep into, the deeper I dig into the thought leadership space, the more you see that changing and the demands yes. are changing. You know, like there was, there was a time when you essentially could just be the first thought leader in your space. And you could just, it seemed like you could just print money because you give away free content. And there was such a, there was such a lack of availability and, and just a, a content from other thought leaders that if you beat everybody else to the space, you could write your own paychecks. Yep. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of situations like that, that there was the same thing. If you were the first podcaster in your space or the first Facebook live series in your space, like we see this kind of this, this cycle happen over and over again. But then as soon as competition comes in, it's like, okay, back to reality. You have to actually have a brand. You have to have a promise that makes sense to people. You have to have your, your proverbial, you know, shit together marketing wise. Like you got to, you got to have the fundamentals in place. And I think it's, it's thrown a lot of people off. And like you said, there's still so much out there being taught that essentially is somebody did something one time. It worked really well for them. And then they go, great. They spend the next five or 10 years trying to teach other people how to do it. And by the time they've even brought it to market, it's almost outdated. And we see a lot of that. So it's, it's, an, interesting, it's an interesting space to be in. So that, that explains the direct response branding part. When you did the surveys and stuff, just because you happened to mention it, you mentioned that a lot of people responded saying they were an introvert. Do you think that's a, are we, are we self-selecting by the fact that we are serving people who want to get into the online space versus the, like, let's say people that want to be professional speakers, full-time paid professional speakers, that those aren't the majority of my clients and they may not be the majority of yours either. Are we self-selecting a group that just tends to be more introverted? I, I, I don't know. You know, that's my real answer, right? I can yeah. be, make it up and get, make some assumptions. I don't like to make assumptions. Uh, overall, I think part of it has to do with it's online, right? If you look at copywriters, right? You know, I've hired hundreds and hundreds of copywriters and I know you probably have too, right? So copywriters historically are more introverted, although mm -hmm. like what they put out in the world shows up in a way that most would think it's extroverted, right? That's very true. And then you meet them personally and they're just, you know, and so, you know, and I've been a part of masterminds as well many of them, and I still am part of many masterminds where, where, where surveys are done and they ask how many of you are extroverted, how many are introverted, and it's historically the majority are introverted, hmm. which being an introvert <clears throat> gave me a place that felt safe, secure, and like, okay, I'm not an oddball, right? Because a lot of entrepreneurs live with this idea that they're different, they're unique, they're a little bit of the black sheep or whatever, but then, you know, if you're in a safe place where you have the ability to tell the truth and others are not putting that mask on and putting the armor on and all the bullshit that goes along with that stuff and just being real about it. Yeah. Well, Hey, I'm okay being an introvert. I'm okay being myself and this is who I am. And what, you know, what we find, I think uh, as a result, Matt, is that a lot of people online that are in business are, have a tendency to be a little bit more introverted, mm -hmm. right? Uh, not that it's like, I don't think, Either one is better. It's not a better man no. by any means, but I think it certainly has a tendency to attract certain people because, you know, who wouldn't want to sit at a laptop or work from home or work from their yeah. own cockpit wherever they want in the world and be able to communicate with an audience, yeah. right? On the other hand, 
you've got others that are extroverted who, you know, you brought up speaking, right? You would historically think that, you know, public speakers are also extroverted, right? You know, if you're doing Facebook lives, you're doing a bunch of webinars, you're, you know, all these sorts of things, producing content. You know, Joel Weldon, who is a friend, he's been a mentor, he's been a coach of mine in the speaking, he's, he finally co-founded the National Speakers Association. He said that big problem more than anything else, and this tie, I'm going to go at two levels of this. The big okay. problem we see, the big mistake that most people are making in their business is they're so worried about looking in the mirror at themselves. And the key is, is we've got to get ourselves out of the way. And it's really about just staying tuned in to focus on our clients, right? What problem do they have? And what, what do you have that solves that problem, right? And when we can just stay true to that, we show up in service, you know, we show up as, you know, a guide, a mentor, a servant leader, whatever you want to call that. But it's really, you know, what is the problem? And then if you've got the ability to help somebody, go help somebody. Mm -hmm. And ideally, then you get the ability to help a lot of people, if not hundreds of thousands or millions of people over time. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I, because I think, I mean, if you, you, you know, it's a toss up, but I think the general population is supposedly in, introverts make up something like 40, maybe 45%, just general population. I've never heard anybody say that entrepreneur, like in a group of entrepreneurs, they tend to be more on the introverted side. I wonder if that's different if you got into like small business owners that own like brick and mortar or, or like real estate salespeople, like that's going to attract more extroverted people. But I do know that there's a lot of introverts that get into sales careers like I did, the online world, you know, coaching, consulting, stuff like that. And yeah, we absolutely feel like a fish out of water because it feels like all the marketing advice that we get right now is like from extroverts to extroverts. And right. it's all about, and, and they're, they're, it's always the same advice, which is be more extroverted. Like if you, yeah. if you don't, whatever, whatever the problem is. And so I, I like, uh, I mean, first of all, we, we both do similar things in the sense that like we want to help people build a brand, build trust, build real influence. And I think that in the, at the end of the day, like it works for everybody, but especially for introverts, if you don't want to be on social media all day, you better have a brand and you better have a, like a plan to reach people directly through your marketing so that you don't have to be on Instagram and you don't have to be the one experimenting with TikTok. Because if, if you don't have the things that you and I do for clients, that really is your only other option. And, and that's the, all the pressure in the world right now it seems to be all tilted in that direction. I'm sure you see that's most of the marketing advice in the space right now is just be on social media more. Yeah, and you know, one of the things you know, Matt, and I think we connect, re, uh, connect on this and you know, we're in alignment the more a lot of experts are teaching these influencers to be, you know, social icons, if you will, the more you can personalize and humanize your experience with potential clients, the better. Mm -hmm. Like it's amazing what a personal physical card will do as a thank you, right? In your process. Don't focus so much on like more, but focus on, the quality, like, you know, sending a thank you card, sending a birthday card physically, not just email. You can do that too. And that certainly helps, but thank you cards, sending a voice message that's personal to them, yep. calling them and leaving a message has a huge, huge impact, right? So these, you know, they I believe that the, the companies that can create 
personal connection in their communication, not through automation. I find so many people that are letting automation and technology get in the way of actually making real money. Mm -hmm. They're so busy with automating everything, mm -hmm. but they are making money and they're broke, <laughs> right? And I know we, we've kidded about that, right? Yeah. In our last conversation. So don't do that. Yeah. Realize you've got consumers with problems, potential clients with problems. You've got a solution. When you get into the conversation with them, how can you stand out? Just stay in conversation with them in unique ways. Yep. Use real life communication, voice messages, do leave a call, a voice broadcast, a, a, a physical card. Use, you know, and there's all kinds of services that you can use to kind of simplify this as much as possible that still make it personal and humanize it. And it's amazing what will happen. Like for example, you know, about every quarter or so, Matt, you'll start experiencing this in our, in our relationship. Ooh, about every I, quarter or so. Do I get to be in the, uh, the follow-up process? I get All to be right. in the, the fun factory, right? <laughs> and, um, you know, the fortune's in the follow-up. Yeah, and so uh, about every quarter, you know, a little, usually a little bit more, depending on the year, we'll send out a newsletter and then, you know, a lot of people, you know, we're right before the holidays here, right? And so what are we all going to start seeing at the holidays? We're going to get bombarded with, uh, you know, photo cards of, from clients, friends, mentors, all these different things. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? What if you replicated that all year off? You know, yeah. there's that old quote. I, I forget how it goes. It goes, if, uh, if if and nuts were candy and butts, it'd be Christmas all year round. So why not make it Christmas all year? Okay. Right. So send out those photo cards four to six times a year. It's pretty mm -hmm. easy to do. Right. And you can make it about your clients. Again, you can put your stuff on there, which, you know, you want to do show them, you know, the family side, show them you're having fun with your clients. Those sorts of things do have an impact. Yeah. But couldn't you then like what we do on the back of the card, we actually take inspirational quotes from, you know, guest experts like Matt and we put them on the back of the card. So we'll put like nine or 12 quotes so that a, we edify our guests so they see it if they're a guest. And on top of that, others are inspired by these quotes because people love quotes from other people, yeah. especially inspiring ones, right? <laughs> on top of that, we also do a newsletter and the newsletter varies, but it can be anywhere from two to 10 pages and it's me riffing uh, okay. the way I do it. I just riff to my team and then they help turn it into the, basically this, this uh, newsletter and I have people tell me that our newsletter that they get, they literally paste it up on their fridge or their wall. It's like one of the most valuable business tools that they use to stay on track quarterly because yeah. we usually give them 13 strategies from the past quarter that are working with our clients, right? Yeah. So, as you, you know, my whole point of that is not going, oh, look at me, look at what I'm doing. Right. No, what could you do, right, yeah. to, to connect and stay connected and in front? I can't tell you, Matt, how many times I've been traveling to different events when it was safe to travel where I'll go and I'll be in an event and there'll be certain experts and I've never physically met somebody and they come running over and go, Oh my gosh, I've been in, you know, in your world for four years and we've yeah. never met. I just want to, I get your newsletter every quarter and Oh my God, it's amazing. It's so great to meet you. Hey, I want to introduce you to so-and-so and so-and-so yeah. like just by being a good human being like, yeah. and standing out where everybody is relying on email and automation, yeah. bullshit stuff. Yeah. Do it different. Like focus on thank you cards, birthday cards, real voice messages, video messages, and physical kind of stuff that you can send them. Maybe a card, maybe a newsletter, maybe both. Anyway, a couple ideas. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I think there's a place for everything. You know, there's a place for automation. There's a place for systems. But uh, a lot of it depends on what do you do with the time that you free up? 
you know, and for a lot, you know, for a lot of people that means, oh, great, I can, you know, like they'll, they'll build a system, they, they want to build more automation and delegations so that they can, you know, like not have to worry about sales and marketing. It's like, that's not, like, it's not, that's not life. That's not reality. Like automate the parts that can be automated so that you can spend time on personalizing the parts that actually get you maximum results from that yep. little extra bit of personalization, that sending of a voice message instead of a stock thank you note or something like that, or sending a physical thank you card instead of just the, like an emailing a note or something like those are, and you can systematize all that stuff to make it easier on yourself to do. I mean, I have a system internally for how we send thank you cards. It's a system, but I built the system because I wanted them to ensure that that kind of thing actually happens. I don't right. want it to just be a good idea that I do every once in a while. So there's a place for everything. There's a place for delegation, automation, and all that fun stuff. But ideally, it's in service of doing more of the things that get you better results. You have more time and to, to put into more, personaliz uh, more personalization. So I love that approach. Uh, let's shift gears a little bit and talk a little bit about the category that we're both in. Because uh, you and I both do... Uh, we've come from like the done-for-you world. And, and there's some things that you guys do for clients. There's a consulting and a strategy component to what both of uh, both of us do. And so in the end, if you really think about what we do that gets clients results, there's some sort of done with you factor, right? But how we market ourselves is going to vastly affect how people perceive that value. And right now, there really is no good category for anything that isn't either just strategy like coaching or just done for you like agency. So I'm curious, like when you have clients come in, Right now, how do you explain to them how you guys work and what, cate what category do you think people put your organization in right now? Do they come to you for strategy and then realize, oh, they do stuff? Or do they come to you because you do stuff and then realize, oh, they do strategy as well? Well, I think they truly come to us for both strategy and implementation. Mm -hmm. And we're not a fit for 99.7% of, of companies. Mm -hmm. So I think that also creates relief. For us to actually get into the conversation to identify, you know, hey, let's have a conversation and see if we're even a right fit. We're probably not, actually, for most uh, most companies. Right. So it kind of takes so some of the pressure off because they know you're not automatically selling everyone that comes in through the funnel. Right. right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I think for, for us, you know, using, you know, the idea of the direct response branding, I've got a very unique story. And we've got a team of about 20 people that help drive implementation behind the scenes. But, you know, I, I built you know, a coaching business that we grew it up, Matt, to, as you know, about 25 million a year. We had about 175 employees, you know, did about a hundred million over a few years. And then I exited and sold it to a big giant hundred million dollar a year business. And I was blessed to exit and, and, you know, so incredibly grateful. And then I sold another business. It was a publishing business separate of that. And so then people have come to us because they kind of learned that and they're like, could you kind of help us do what you did? And maybe they don't want to ever sell but they just want to get freed up out of the day to day, right? Freed up from them being the rainmaker themselves or it being reliant on them or relying on referrals. And they want to have this, you know, this kind of system. So, you know, it, most of the time like, we get into conversation with candidates and again, they're not really a fit. And so, but they know because of the connections that I've had and now doing this overall with 11 companies, uh, 30 years of experience that if, we're not a good fit. I can get them connected to somebody who will be a good fit. Like, for example, just the other day, uh, a candidate come to us who was referred and, you know, they weren't, weren't a good fit for what we do, but I got them connected to a group that they do done for you selling. 
Like they're a sales team. Oh, right. This company gets leads coming in pretty, pretty, pretty decent, a pretty decent amount mm -hmm. and a steady flow on a daily basis. And I said, you know, I, I could sell you, but I'm not going to rather, I think, you know, let me introduce you to one of our trusted relationships. They're badasses at what they do at helping companies, you know, solve the problem of sales and not relying on the owner or founder to have to be the one on the phone doing, doing the closing or enrollments. Right. Mm -hmm. So we got them connected. You know, they're just starting to move together. But the reason that I know they work, they have worked with a couple of other clients where they've done well over six figures a month, mm -hmm. helping them in a done for you kind of model. Right. So, yeah. you know, certain cases, like if it's traffic or if it's a done for you sales system, all those sorts of things, I've got, we've got relationships in different categories and niches that we can become really an advocate for somebody, yep. right? Where today it may not mean business for us, but down the road, long-term, like we believe we should be free. Like most of our stuff, uh, Matt, like we've talked about is performance-based, okay. right? If someone doesn't have a desire, another like criteria that we look for is like, do you have the desire to really do what it takes to add another 10 million to your business? If you don't, uh, we're probably not a good fit for each other, right? Mm -hmm. Our top client has paid us over $970,000, right? Because we helped them grow by 10 million. Right. So if you look at that, they grew by over 10 million. They paid us about 970, right? right? It's an easy ROI. We're free to them, yep. right? And we're high pay, high, high value, high, high fee service. It's performance-based, primarily performance-based, right? Mm -hmm. so, so let me give a lesson in this as you're listening or watching, because I don't want to just turn this into like us, like me, 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 listen to our thing. As you look at positioning your, and packaging uh, and promoting your service or your products as you're watching Matt and I right now, what is an irresistible offer that you can create? And here's a couple criteria for an irresistible offer. And you've probably heard this before, so it's not new, but ideally kind of thinking it as for your services, okay. it might give you some new ways to think about it. So how can you provide results in advance, right? Okay. So results in advance, how do you minimize or eliminate the risk? Right. right. Could you, what could you create where part of it or all of it is performance based? Okay. Right. My very first offer, I was lucky, Matt, my very first company all the way back in 1992, pre-internet, it was direct mail, TV and radio. If you were a health club owner, right, we'd come to you and let's say you were in, you know, wherever you are in California, we'd come to you and go, Hey Matt, um, if we could, you know, help you generate a few hundred new clients, in the next 90 days or less, and it won't cost you anything out of pocket up front. Mm -hmm. And our company, we're gonna front the risk and run TV ads for you, we'll run radio ads for you, and we'll run the direct mail for you, and then when we make money, we'll split the profits. Mm -hmm. Do you wanna know more, right? Yeah, yeah. who wouldn't, yeah. 10, 10 people we'd go to, we'd get about seven or eight yeses, mm -hmm. then what we would do is actually then run a profile on their, their uh, business, Mm -hmm. to make sure it was a better fit and make sure that it had right. the criteria for radio, TV, the things we were doing. And then we literally would run this done for you campaign and then we'd split the profits. Mm -hmm. I got, and so I was 22 years old in 1992 when I started this company and it was accidental. I'd love to go, Hey, I invented this idea of like creating results in advance and like risk-free offers. No, I like was just testing stuff and trying stuff. And I was a 22 year old kid hungry. And I like, these people were all mature and there was a lot of competition. So we'd go in with this offer. Why? Because for me, that was how we were going to differentiate from ourselves. And by the way, some didn't work. We failed in a couple of campaigns. 
uh, you know, a couple of the initial can, we did seven figures in our first eight months of business. Mm-hmm. Right. But then I didn't know how to run a business. Like I had to learn how we were good at getting clients. We were all good at getting our clients, clients. But I realized very quickly that I was a technician and not a business owner, especially or an entrepreneur. Yeah. Uh, and that was a whole new skill set I had to evolve and learn over time. And that happened from the failure of that business, even though it did seven plus seven figures plus, 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 I didn't know how to run a damn business. <laughs> but I had a partnership where it was a handshake kind of thing. And it was just to be, I take the full responsibility for it, but I had to regroup. I was on the verge of bankruptcy as a result of just not really knowing how to run a business. I know how to make sales. I know how to help clients make sales and build systems but did not how to do some of the business types of things. So, right. so anyways, you're watching or listening, create your irresistible offer in your niche, in your industry, figure out, okay, what would have to happen to create some version of results in advance or performance basis, minimize or eliminate risk, and then take a long-term approach. If they're not a right fit, here's the big, big mistake I've made. I hope you can learn from this. It's cost me 40, $50 million easily. Don't be so anxious to say yes to every client that can fog a mirror. Don't be so anxious to say yes to somebody because you're going to make money. Be diligent and discerning on choosing the right clients and the right partners and even the right team members to be on your team. Because if you put energy into the wrong companies, the wrong clients, the wrong people, the wrong team members, it, it co- a, it costs you financially, but it'll even cost you more emotionally o- over time as well. And so I hope you can learn from some of my mistakes to help you grow your business a lot faster with less stress. Yeah. And I'm, I'm curious because there, there's, not, there's not many introverts that I meet that grow companies really quickly. I meet a lot of extroverts that grow companies really quickly. So, you, so you've obviously like one of the things you you realized that you had a mastery over was the sales and marketing. And I'm, I'm going to guess, but I, but I'm going to ask you what you think. Would you consider yourself like a systems builder? Do you think in those terms? Uh, I would say to a degree. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Cause the, like the people that I know that are really good, like take Perry Marshall, for example, like former, former, like literally a mechanical engineering degree. Yeah. If I remember right. Right. So his brain thinks in engineering terms. He thinks in systems terms. I didn't realize that I was a systematic thinker. Like that comes from hashing out theology with my dad when I was nine years old, reading systematic theology when I was eight. But it, but it taught me to think in terms of systems and, and everything has to fit together. And I think that, um, I think that one, of the, one of the directions both you and I have gone is that you, like you may not consider yourself uh, you know, like you're, you're a systems thinker to a point, but I think what you've created just the same as I have is like, we have an opinion on how marketing and sales should be done. And those opinions have led to the creation of a system. Like you have a, like direct response branding is a system yep. and you're selling that system. Um, do you feel like people are receptive to that? Is system a good word, bad word, scary word? like overwhelming word? Is it something they'd love to have installed, but they don't want to mess with it? Like, what do you, what do you think of the word? Like if you presented yourself as this is a system, because you mentioned like an operating system for your sales and marketing. What do you feel like is the response when you say that? Like this is an operating system for the sales and marketing of your business. How do do you think people hear that and interpret it? It it seems to be very receptive because a lot of people want the system, right? But they don't, you know, number one, they maybe have tried something right? 
and it just hasn't worked. So yeah. give, me, give me an operating system that's been proven to come in and that will help save some time and energy, right? Mm -hmm. And here's the other part. It's not a one size fits all, yeah. right? I had someone just, just the other day, they were like, you know, what, when you worked with uh, Genius Network and Joe Polish and helped them grow and triple their company, like what, what did you do? And so it's not a one site when I work with them versus, you know, like another client is Daniel Marcos and Vern Harnish and Growth mm -hmm. Institute. They're different. But here's what the similarity is. Everybody's got assets. And most of us have assets that are like dialed in, but then there are many that are unleveraged. And like what I feel that part of my superpower and system is I can find the underleveraged assets, isolate them, merge them with the rest of it and create growth, hyper growth optimization, right? Right. And, but that's unique in most, most situations, most of our client uh, experiences. So I think, A, I think people really want, like, and I, by the way, um, you know, what is that old saying? When you're a hammer, right, everything is a nail. Mm -hmm. So I was lucky, Matt, like my dad got me into personal development when I was 10. So I attended my very first seminar when I was 10 years old. It wasn't a business clinic. It was a sports clinic. Oh, okay. And it was for baseball because my dream as a kid, I grew up in the inner city of Detroit and I wanted to get my family out of poverty and shit. So I did, I got very Sports. consumed by yeah. <laughs> all kinds of stuff. And my dad though, he was into personal development. So he took me, I went to a coach's clinic. I was the only kid in this thing. I was 10 years old, went to Eastern Michigan University in Ypsilanti, Michigan and sat in this clinic. And I can remember the manual they gave out. I, I still have it actually, but the page that's been highlighted a thousand times like the first paragraph talks about having a PMA. It said that being successful in sports and life is 90% mental and the rest physical. Okay. I was 10. I got that. And it stuck with me, right? Mm -hmm. Later on, my dad introduced me to uh, Dr. James Lore, his book, Mentally Tough. I was 16 years old, I believe. Uh, and it's how to apply uh, sports psychology to business. I was going to say, is he the co-author of uh, The Power of Full Engagement? Yes. Oh, yeah. That's so one his of my previous all -time work, most impactful books. Yeah, in 1986, I believe it was, or 85, somewhere in there. I, yeah. I might be off on the dates just slightly. Okay. Uh, mentally tough, how to apply sports psychology to business. My dad got me that as a gift, right? So I got that. And then my first couple mentors in business when I was, uh, you know, first learning direct response marketing in the late 1980s, Tom Hopkins and Michael Gerber, nice. right? And so from a selling point of view, I learned a lot from Tom Hopkins. Mm -hmm. And then I also learned a lot from Michael Gerber. And what I took from Michael Gerber is if you're going to run a business, you have to have a system. Like for yeah. me, it was like, you'd be an idiot not to have a system. Like yeah. just to, you know, like the whole takeaway from this book is systems run your business, get good people to run those systems. Yeah. And for me, I, I was like, well, why would I focus on any other system than marketing and sales? Right. It's the engine and, that drives everything else. It's oxygen. Like it's, yep. it's like, if you picture a helium balloon, marketing and sales is like the helium in the balloon. Without yeah. it, the, the balloon just kind of lays flat like a lot of people's businesses. So <laughs> that's why for me, so like yeah. I figure I'm a hammer. I can't speak to anybody that can't connect with it, right? Mm -hmm. I'm sure people, there's some that might, ooh, system for our marketing or sales. I don't find that we attract many of those people in my, in my life. It seems the people that we do attract are like, yeah, I want a better, mm -hmm. a, a system, 
operating system for sales and marketing to make my business even better, more efficient, more freedom for me. So I don't have to be the one in charge all the time of marketing and selling too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That makes sense. And I think the, the interesting thing about like from, from an entrepreneur's perspective, especially if you want to scale out to the point where you're not in demand that you have to be involved in every single decision, every single client interaction, or even to the point where if you want to, you can scale out and, and sell out of the business like you did with the coaching business. There's a lot of benefits to presenting yourself as an organization that installs systems because it's less about you. And I think that's where, and I, I know you see a lot of coaches and speakers and authors get trapped at that stage because they make all their content about them. And especially with their coaching, it's about getting time and access to the genius that is their brain. It's like, well, that's great. And you can build a brand to a certain extent that way, but you'll never leverage it. Um, if you can put your, if you put all that intellectual horsepower into building the system and the people who are buying the system, you can have other people build and deliver the system. And then you can just be like, you can be involved to whatever extent you want to be, but ideally you're just involved in being influential and marketing. And then you let other people kind of fulfill the demand that you create. So I, I do like that part of it. And, and I, what's on the only thing that we have to deal with right now is that we just have like i don't think there's enough in the public consciousness yet that there is this category that i would say in between agency and consulting but where like you said people are coming to you for both they're coming to you for both strategy and implementation what they're not coming for you to you for is is some a blend of both that they have identified exactly what the name of that category is. Like everybody thinks in terms of, oh, maybe I need to hire a PR firm. Maybe I need to hire a marketing agency. Maybe I need to hire a business coach. Like those are defined categories. There is no category right now for what you and I do. And I think that's going to be one of the more interesting developments is to see who wins the, the naming. You know, is, is it going to be called fractional CMO? You know, is it going to be marketing operating, you know, marketing operating systems or something like that? Like, oh man, like I need a marketing system for my business. Like that would be great if people started to use that category because then you can set about going, okay, great. I'm going to be the number one marketing system guy in the thought leader space. You know, like you can start to go, you can set out to dominate whatever that category ends up being named. But right now it's like, it's the wild west. We're all just trying to explain what the heck we do <laughs> to people that don't have, they don't have a category or a bucket to put us in. Yeah, virtual CMO and CEO service, right? Yeah. Which I've used that before. People seem to like kind of get it. Yeah. I don't know that that is a category, nor do I know if it's the reason why people work with us or not. Truthfully, I mean, yeah, exactly. It's hard to know. To understand it when you say it, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, I've used I've used the fractional. So I, I know people that have done joint ventures and stuff where they do use the fractional, and, and it makes sense if you're an independent consultant. But if you yeah. have a team, like you and I both have teams behind us. It's a little weird to say I'm your fractional CMO, but by the way, you never actually talk to me. Like, right. you talk to my team, and we, yeah, we installed these systems, yeah. So it's going to be interesting to, to see how that shakes out. I think that's going to be one of the most fascinating parts of this whole hybrid consulting agency space over the next five or ten years. Is what the heck is it going to be called? What you know? What category are are people going to put us in? And then based on that, who's going to win the race to become known as the number one player in that space? 
Yes. And while everybody's running to be the number one player, I'm going to enjoy coaching my son's football team and being a high school football <laughs> coach and all this other stuff. Anyway, so <laughs> hopefully, I imagine someone will figure it out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're un- unconcerned because you're just going to keep plowing forward uh, yeah. and working with the people you want to work with. Dude, we could talk forever. I, w- I would love to go. We'll have to do something uh, else sometime where we go into some of the specific things you've done, like for Genius Network and Vern Harnish and, and all those guys, because I, I know there's got to be some insane case studies, but we don't have time for that. So what is the best place for people to, to learn more about what you do, the systems that you install, uh, and maybe then to keep up with you on like a personal level? Yeah, re- real simple. We put together a, a little small business toolkit, Matt, that's uh, you know a series of tools. Like mm-hmm. we believe in using tools, which are mini systems, yep. right? To run, like for example, I've got one up on my wall that we want to give you, not, not the one I got on my wall, handwritten and that sort, but it's called the CEO checklist. And I built it originally about 20 years ago for me because okay. I'm not a natural CEO. I'm a guy who's a visionary. I like running at hundred miles an hour. I like shiny yeah. object. I like, I like all kinds of new, there are very few things I will say no to left to my own devices. So okay. the CEO checklist that's up on my wall and I've had versions of it up for 20 years is a way to keep the creative type in alignment and also like running your, like, what do you do quarterly? What do you do yearly? What do you do weekly? Right. And it's a checklist of items to kind of stay connected to you, your vision, your team. What do you want? Who are you? What do you stand for? Your values and that sort of thing. We're going to give you that CEO checklist. We've got another tool that we were able to take Matt customer service people and turn them into high performers as far as enrollment and sales. And it's wow. called how to sell more by selling less. It's our selling checklist, our, you know, basically our script broken out into an outline, right? Cause most people don't really connect with scripts, mm-hmm. but it's a 12 step checklist that you know, we, we took customer service people. That's not a skill set that they right. usually convert to a sales process, right? Uh-huh. This has done that really well. So how to sell more by right. selling less, we're also going to give you the marketing plan blueprint checklist. Reason being is the number one reasons businesses fail. Uh, according to Small Business Administration 2017, 43%, the number one reason of why they fail is either an outdated marketing plan or not having one. Mm-hmm. So this is a two-pager, you know, you fill in the blank kind of thing where now you can get you, your team, anybody on your team. If you bring in outside agencies like Matt, if you're part of his world, now you have them come in and now it gives them a roadmap of like really where you are, really where you want to go and helps make it and simplify it. So you're going to get the marketing plan blueprint and, and, and a little bit more. So go to activate.breakthrough3x.com to get those three tools, activate.breakthrough3x.com. And uh, we're going to give you that for free. And then if you have any questions, reach out to us. We've got a series of all kinds of, we got podcasts, literally hundreds and hundreds of episodes like Matt. Matt will be on our show as well, uh, right around the corner and uh, a lot more. So activate.breakthrough3x.com. Awesome, man. That's, uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for, for joining us and for the, the toolkit. I, I love the idea of the toolkit. Uh, I think that's going to be one of the, the next frontiers of, of sales and marketing is breaking things down into, into tools that can be more easily and, and quickly implemented and less training, maybe even to the point of giving the training away and selling the tools. Cause I think that there's so much value in those. So I love that. I think that's uh, like I said, we'll have to do something again where we follow up and go deeper on some Let's other things, it. but yeah, I really appreciate your time. Same here, Matt. Appreciate it.
Thanks for listening to the Micro Famous Podcast. If you're ready to become famously influential to the right people, connect with us at getmicrofamous.com. It's the best way to take the next step to implementing the Micro Famous strategy in your business so you can attract an audience, build influence, and become the Micro Famous leader you're meant to be. And we'll see you on the next episode.